Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Joining me is my co-host, who is half the man he used to be. Here's the man that I think is kind of neat, but he tells me I'm a creep. My co-host from the left coast, Wayne Fugate. Hola, Ben. How are So for this episode, we have a special guest. He's the brainchild behind the Los Angeles-based band Ships Have Sailed. They're responsible for melodic rockers like If Only and Let's Just Dance. But my jam this year has been their song called Stay. Please welcome to the podcast, Will Carpenter of Ships Have Sailed. Hey, everybody. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So the premise of our podcast is fairly simple. We talk about music, but as we do at the beginning of each of our podcasts, we ask the all-important question, what t-shirt are you wearing? Let's start with Wayne. Well, because the name of the album is Purple, I went ahead and represented the number 17 Washington Huskies, uh, so I'm wearing one of my my UW shirts. Bow down. That's right. (laughs) All right. How about you, Will? What uh, what T-shirt are you wearing? So I, well, it's kind of a long story. Do you want the whole thing? Give us a long story. Oh, We're course. all about the long stories here. <laughs> so I had an opportunity this year to go and study um, mixing with Michael Brower, who is uh, one of arguably one of the best mix engineers in the world. He mixed all the early Coldplay stuff, a bunch of John Mayer stuff, but he like ranges from everything from like, he used to be this a staff engineer at the studio who mixed like Aretha Franklin and Luther Vandross and all that yeah. stuff. Um, mixed the stones, like his catalog is ridiculous. So I got to study with him um, for seven days uh, in a studio in the south of France earlier this summer. It was a really incredible experience, and it was through an organization called Mix with the Masters. So I am wearing my Mix with the Masters shirt. Fantastic. So he very nice. He's the mixer for Viva La Vida, right? Yeah, but also um, parachutes and um, God, what was the third one? I'm blanking. So yeah, he he mixed one album, one album, three, and then also Viva La Vida. Gotcha. Yep, that's that's my favorite Coldplay record. Yeah, you know I vacillate. Um, I I like I like. Have you dug into Ghost Stories at all? It's like a more recent one. Kind of. Um, is that the one that has um, O on it? Is O yes. on that one? Yep. It it flows like an early Coldplay record, but it's yeah. it sticks with their modern sensibilities, which is what really um, kind of drew me to it. And then I really do love their their early stuff back when they were more of a rock band. I feel like Viva La Vida is a great record, but it kind of to me, it marks the shift for them of moving away from rock and leaning more into straight up pop, which uh, that's a little bit of a bittersweet move, in my opinion. Yeah. No, I get, I get it. Uh, I was, I was digging through the Coldplay catalog a couple weeks ago. I am uh, going to be a guest, whatever, a guest on uh, one of the Pods and Sods episodes that we're going to be doing for Coldplay. But uh, Eddie Money's death and Rico Kasich's death kind of moved, uh, moved a few things around. So one of these days we're going to record that. So got it. Yeah, it's it's been kind of a rough couple months for for musicians in the in the music industry we've lost a couple legends absolutely 
All right. Well, um, I haven't told you my T-shirt, so I'm actually wearing a non-music-related shirt, uh, similar to Wayne. However, um, we're recording this episode at the conclusion of the regular season for baseball, and Felix Hernandez just pitched his last game with the Mariners. So I'm wearing my Mariners T-shirt with King Felix's last name and number on the back. I'm sorry that the Mariners wasted your career felix but um yeah long live the king long live the king absolutely so will i gotta ask you since you live in the la area are you an angels fan or a dodgers fan well so that's an that's an interesting question because i actually grew up in vermont and i went Ah, to school in boston so if i had to pick a baseball team it would be the red sox um but I do like to root for the hometown boys, but here it's the Dodgers. Excellent. That's the right answer, because if you were going to say the Angels, we were going to conclude <laughs> this episode and find another <laughs> guest, because um, I think that I can I can speak for, for Wayne. Besides the Yankees, I think I hate the Angels the most. Wow. 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 It sounds like there's a history to that. Uh, just they're, they're, they're like our rivals. And so I... Yeah. So I pretty much hate them so that's it <laughs> nothing, gotcha. nothing more to that nothing more to that i was telling wayne before we jumped on the episode i should be wearing a new t-shirt though so last night i went to see a recent guest of the podcast lily hyatt she was performing in saint augustine with shovels and rope and i had every intention of purchasing a t-shirt but she only had small and double x and so made oh, wow. major fail on that um, mm-hmm. And Wayne, she also didn't play my song again. Ugh, that's twice. She even told me that it was on the set list and they switched it up because my song is a slower song. And the crowd, uh, when she played, I think she played Imposter. When it was Imposter, she she saw that the crowd was not responding very well to the slow song. So she switched it up. So I talked to her afterwards told her that I think that I was going to have to pull like an almost famous with her. Like I was going to have to tour every city with her in order to get the interview or, you know, to, to get her to actually play my song, but rough. All right. Enough about Lily Hyatt. Cause she's already had her episode. So let's talk to will. So <laughs> let's, let's chat stay because spoiler alert. Uh, this is going to make my most listened to songs of 20, 2019. Wow, that's super flattering. Thank it's you. It's great. I, I and you describe it as a who's your ride or die type of song and I just yeah. I love the message of that as well. You got some ride or die peeps in your in your speed dial? You know what what do those consist of? Yeah, you know, I I'm lucky enough to have a couple of really good friends, but really this song was written about my wife and um yeah, we've we've had a little bit of you know. There's there's lots of great stuff going on with the music, and that, I'm I'm super grateful for that. But on on the per, on a personal level, we've had a little bit of a rough couple years. There's um, a couple family il- illnesses going on that are kind of like back and forth and recurring, um, and quite serious. And you know, just life stuff stuff that happens, and it's not you have to deal with it, and it's not always the easiest. In in one way. Uh, that led to the creation of our first single that we released this year, Escape, which is a really melancholy, I mean, it, I, I love it. It's a mellow, melancholy, really just achingly sad song that came out of this situation. And then Stay also came out of 
the same situation, but it was just one of those moments where I looked over and I was like, man, if I have to struggle, this is the person I want to be struggling with. And so it just kind of grew out of that moment. And, um, you know, I, I wanted to weave in some of the actual story of us meeting and kind of like, you know, getting to know each other and whatever, but also make it relatable enough so that anybody could think that it like, so that is so that it could make anybody reminisce about anyone who means that to them in their life. If that makes sense. Absolutely. Wayne, I would say that you're one of my ride or dies. Well, I'm flattered. Well, I would say the same about you. Yeah, you should be. All right. Is part of that, part of that story weaved into the video for 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 stay no i mean we well we didn't meet at a party and we weren't um okay <clears throat> you know we weren't teenagers when we met we uh we actually we met at a bar in the lower east side of manhattan where she lived at the time um and okay. i was in town for uh for a professional thing and um we just met at a bar and she so the very first line of the song weary eyes and a sad smile that is the moment that we met because she just looked so Like it was a, it was a Friday night. It was June in New York city. It was a beautiful night out. I, I was out at the bar with a couple friends and she apparently was too. But in the moment that I met her, she was like by herself. Uh, she was like face down into like, into a really boring looking drink, like a vodka soda with her phone (laughs) face up on the bar, like scrolling through text messages. Just look, she looked super miserable. And so I just, you know, this was probably a bad idea, but I I just had to go over and be like, hey, it's Friday night. It's a beautiful June night in one of the greatest cities in the world. You're out and about like there has to be something to to be happy about. Um, And I got the death glare for that. But then we started talking and the rest, as they say, is history. Awesome. Beautiful. And and how long you been together? Uh, we've been married for five years and we've been together for 10. Okay. Yeah. That, that, that's, that's a good, uh, that's a good ride. It, it has been for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And going back to the video, so I'm trying to remember how I stumbled onto the video because the video is what got me hooked on, on you all. 
I think you guys must have done the whole Facebook promotion thing. Maybe that's how I found you. Yeah, probably. So what does that cost in order to to reach people? Because obviously I fit into their algorithm because I'm always sharing videos of, of new bands that I'm discovering. So somehow I'm fitting into their algorithm here. So like how many people did you try and reach? What, what did that, what did that promotion look like? You know, I honestly, um, I honestly can't remember. Uh, I believe with stay a friend of mine who, um, sometimes helps us with the marketing side does that. But usually what we'll do when we're releasing music is we'll allocate a certain amount to the month of the release. And then we'll put a certain percentage of that towards like um, showing it to our existing audience. They call that remarketing Um, because, you know, the Facebook and Instagram algorithms and actually Twitter now too, like they don't actually show your stuff to the people who even like or follow you anymore they show it to a very small percentage of those so in order to reach everybody you essentially have to pay it's really um it's really unfortunate the way it works because so many folks have and you guys probably know this with the social presence um that you have around your podcast but so many folks have spent so much time and energy and even money like building up their um their fan base on these platforms and then to not even be able to reach the fans that already follow you is just, I, I personally think it's extortion. It is. Um, so we allocate a certain amount to just reach the people who already follow us, which is super sad and unfortunate in my opinion. Um, and if um, Zuckerberg or anybody is um, <laughs> listening, change your stuff, guys. Like, that's ridiculous. Um, because I'll advertise anyway, because I want to reach new people. So you would basically just allow me to allocate more of the percentage to the other side of the equation, which is reaching new people with um, similar interests to what I think would be, um, you know, our wheelhouse. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, so we're now at that level. So we're, we're approaching Wayne. Can you believe this? We're, we're coming up on one year of doing the podcast. So next month, next month is one year. I feel like we we are still tapping into our audience of trying to find an audience. And a lot of it, a lot of the audience is coming from the guests that we've had on who are sharing the episodes with their fan base. And I would say about half of our guests are actually sharing sharing them. You know, we just had we just had Liz Longley on the podcast, and um, I'm not sure if you're familiar at all with 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 Liz. Will uh, I'm I'm not, but I will. I'll be happy to look her yeah, up. Yeah. So she she started a Kickstarter on Tuesday in order to buy back her record from her label. So she she put out she put together this record, gave it to the label, and with all the label restructuring that they were doing, it got lost. Like it didn't, it didn't get released. And she said, well, let me, let me have my recordings back. And they said, well, you know, pony up some money. So she put this Kickstarter out where she tried to raise $45,000 in order to buy the masters back. She raised that 
in six hours. Wow. Um, so she has until the middle of October for this Kickstarter. She is over $100,000 at the time of this recording today. That is amazing. She's killing it. And, you know, uh, on the drive up to St. Augustine yesterday, I was I was with a, a fellow music music fan and we were chatting and he goes, you know, I'm starting to feel as though music is dying. Uh, and so then I recounted Liz's story. Um, I recounted Delta Ray. Do, do you know Delta Ray at all? Yep, absolutely. So their Kickstarter kicked ass. They were looking to raise $30,000. They raised $450,000. Wow. It was insane because, I mean, it's a super long story, but the Swifties got behind got behind Delta Ray. Um, their fan base is just rabid, and that's what... That's what needs to happen. There needs to be those rabid fans. It just has to get paid forward. Like if there's somebody that that really digs your music, go tweet it. Like even if it means 10 people are going to see your your video, just doesn't that doesn't that help? Absolutely. I mean every everything helps. Yeah. You know, and that's part of part of the reason why I started the podcast was not only did we want to talk about, you know, cool records and, you know, Wayne and I like to hear ourselves talk, I guess, maybe, maybe more so me than, than Wayne, but, um, but we wanted to introduce people to new music. And, um, and the cool thing is, is all the guests that we're having on the podcast a number of them are picking records that Wayne and I aren't super familiar with either. And so we're getting introduced to new music as well, which is, it's a great byproduct of what we're doing. Absolutely. I, th- I think it's a super cool concept. And, you know, as far as the record that I picked, it is an all time favorite of mine, but I haven't listened to it intensely in a, in a really long time. So it was really amazing to get to kind of dig back in. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. So let's let's talk uh, let's talk K Rock for a second because your your song Stay has been on K Rock uh, a number of times. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for those of you guys not local to Los Angeles, um, there is a K Rock DJ. Her name is Kat Corbett, and she is a champion for local music in the LA area, LA and Orange County. So basically, greater LA area. And um, she has a show on K-Rock called Locals Only. Um, and it's, you know, she really has just kind of like spent her entire career as a jockey over at K-Rock. Build, kind of, you know, she does normal broadcast as well, right? But this has been her pet project the entire time. And she's gone to bat for the local musicians and they throw shows and it's on every Sunday night. It's a two-hour show. So she's been kind enough to feature several of our songs over the past couple of years on Locals Only. And it's just, I mean, I'm so grateful that our local radio station has such an amazing person who will go to bat for the local kind of um, up and coming scene. Because I I understand that not every radio market has somebody to do that. And unless there is kind of like an advocate 
for the up and comers, commercial radio doesn't care about emerging artists. You know, I mean, that's no. just that's just the way it is. They're about the numbers and they want to play what's po- already popular. Um, so it's just an amazing thing what she's done um, because it gives folks like us and many others a shot to be heard on the airwaves. Um, so it's it's super cool and I'm just really grateful for the opportunity. So she like the modern day K-Rock Bingenheimer? I'm not I, I don't I don't get the reference. Sorry. Oh, you don't? No. Okay. So so one of the one of the DJs for K Rock, and I'm trying to remember what his first name is. Wayne, do you know who I'm talking Rodney. about? Rodney. That's it. Rod- Rodney Bingenheimer. So uh and there's there's even a, a documentary about Rodney um that's out there. But he was really responsible for breaking on the West Coast a lot of these East Coast bands like Blondie and um the ramones and uh drama rama was one of these bands that uh he played all the time bands like x probably would not have gotten any play without the the likes of of rodney and so he was kind of this champion of all of these I won't say that they were underground because I wouldn't really call Blondie underground, but he was really responsible for breaking a lot of these these bands back in you know the late seventies, early eighties, and um, so that that's cool that she is she's kind of carrying that torch for 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 the local local bands there in L.A. That's awesome. Yeah, no, it's really amazing, um, and you know throughout history, like there are those types of figures who will advocate for the unknowns. And I think it's just a really special, amazing thing for somebody to do. I do have to go. I, I did watch a couple of your, your other videos where you're, you know, you talked about the the music industry and whatnot. So I was curious. So we'll, we'll go back to that in just a second, but I was curious of what Spotify would select for me after I listened to stay as a single by itself. That is fascinating to me as well. So have you tried to do this? No. Okay. So here's, here's the list and see if you recognize any of these other bands and songs that, um, they, they introduced to me because I was listening to, to your band. So banners, you familiar with banners at all? I'm not familiar with their catalog, but I am familiar with their name. I've heard, I've heard of them. So it's actually some dude from Ireland. I had to look him up. Cool. I liked him. I liked him. He has plenty of hits on Spotify, lots of listens on Spotify, but okay. So there's banners trrapdoor social. Yeah. They're, uh, they're local to LA. Um, also, also they've been getting some K rock locals only love. They're good. Awesome. Okay. I was not familiar with them. So, um, that was a nice little introduction. Um, a band called Truslow, Words of the Wise. Um, I have not heard that track. I've heard their name. Okay. It's an interesting song. Kind of starts out with like a classical piano intro and then goes all over the place. Like I could see like Ben Fold singing this song. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. All right. Um, and then the one that I just was scratching my head at because I'm like, I don't know why this is coming up in the recommendations. So my son and stars, it's a female vocalist. Uh, yeah, I've never, I've never heard of her. 
didn't sound anything like banners or you guys or trapdoor social. So that was just a head scratcher for me. And then a musician from Jacksonville by the name of volunteer. Also have seen his name, but have not heard the music here. Here's the thing that none of these bands are like, um, you know, well-established bands or, you know, they're not, they're not throwing in Coldplay, for instance, right into your algorithm, right. So, so that the the chances of me sticking around for the Spotify curated playlist probably isn't real good, right? Right. <laughs> so let's let's so let's go back to the video where you talked about Spotify not not being real great for up-and-coming bands well that wasn't really the that wasn't really the idea behind that it was more streaming versus purchasing music right and how there is an economical difference that you can make in an artist's um in an artist's career uh that's easier to it's easier to kind of like well it's a more tangible way to support an artist to purchase their song as a download as opposed to just streaming it because a stream basically gives you 0.004 cents right and a yeah, purchase right. is like 99 cents you know dollar 29 depending on how the artist prices it um and i know that not many people download music these days it's kind of like a dying thing and it's all about the streaming but really the revenue model hasn't caught up with the fact that that is the main way that people are consuming music and so artists are really struggling because of how little they get paid for streaming meanwhile um and i don't want to call out spotify because they actually do provide some pretty amazing tools for artists to access um statistics about who's streaming their music and where and when and how um and so i i don't want to be knocking spotify but it's more the system that's that's broken. Like, um, you know, I, I find it a little bit unfair that, you know, the average salary at a company like Apple or Spotify is in well into the six figures. Whereas the artists who create the music that is their product, like that's the product that they're giving you, right? That's the, if there was no music, there would be no Spotify, right. Um, or Apple music. Yeah. The artists are getting paid so little and it's because basically the revenue, like the the pool of money that they split up among all of the artists, like let's say they have a billion streams in a month and that billion streams is attributed to a million artists equally, right? Which of course that isn't the case, but for the sake of simplicity, sure. the pool of money that gets divided, it's after all of their expenses, like whatever, like all of the stuff that they can deduct from their revenue um and so it's basically just a percentage of their profits right and so they deduct all the salaries they deduct all their marketing they deduct all of you know everything off the top before the artist gets paid and i think it should be the other way around actually Mm -hmm. i think that the um the artist should get paid um a fixed percentage of the incoming revenue so that the artist gets paid before Spotify makes the decision or Apple Music or 
Amazon or whatever, whoever we're talking about, title, the artist should get paid before those organizations make the strategic choices of where they're going to then spend their money, whether it be on salaries or corporate parties or like corporate jets, or I don't know what they're doing with their money. I, I don't get a say in how much they spend on marketing their company every year. I get a say on how much I spend marketing my music, but you know, like I, I feel like the artist should get compensated before the companies get to make those decisions. Well, there wouldn't be a platform without the musicians. That exactly. So that it just seems like a messed up system, but yeah. What? Well, hopefully, hopefully it catches up with the technology. Like, hopefully the rules catch up with the technology at some point. Yeah. So, how much have you made off of Spotify? Or am I or am I poking the bear too much? Oh, um, you know, I would have to. I would have to look. Um, I would say. I mean, at this point. We are fortunate enough to get around like, you know, 90 to 110,000 streams a month. Yeah. Uh, but that's like, it's about 400 bucks a yeah. month. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not, it's not a living, you know? Right. So, so Will, as much as I love Stay, that's not even your most listened to song on Spotify. That would be If Only from your previous yep. album. Was that on a, a playlist somewhere on Spotify? Is that why you've got... Uh, because I mean, you're up to, I want to say, almost a half a million listens for for that song. Yeah, I think it's actually it's it's closer to seven hundred thousand at oh, this point. Fantastic. I think it's past past six. But yeah, um, so it wasn't a curated playlist that that did it for that song. That song was actually the first track for us that got sucked into Discover Weekly, cool. which is an algorithmic playlist, yep. and it's basically it's based on you know how many people listen all the way through, how many people save it, like how many people repeat listen. Um, and so that one, I guess, just was organically really, um, really good for people. Like people really gravitated towards it. And so Discover Weekly picked it up and we've been getting, you know, about a thousand streams a week from Discover Weekly awesome. ever since. So that's that's kind of um, that's kind of how that happened. Very cool. So, so, so let me ask you this, since, uh, I, I want, I want to give my money to independent artists. So do you have any cool t-shirts? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. We have a couple of really cool t-shirts. Um, they're on our website, shipsofsale.com. And then All you right. just click the store button. 
okay, I'm going to go purchase one of your, one of your shirts because I wanted to give my money to Lily, but she let me down. So I'm going to throw my money at you instead. Well, thank you so much. I really yeah. appreciate that. Right. And right. Uh, for anybody listening, you know, like it's a, it's a labor of love to create music for sure. And I feel really fortunate to be able to do and pursue what I love, but it's a, like, it's a hard job, you know, and it's super, it's super demanding and it's really complex. Like I do all of our creation and writing myself um, all the way down to like mixing our records. So it's like super time consuming takes a lot of energy to kind of get your chops up to that point where you can create something that sounds professional. And um, so when you're listening to a song, like I know it's it's not always obvious, but I don't know. I've had this conversation with several several of our fans as they're kind of realizing how much how much energy is like goes into the creation of a song and they wind up appreciating it more once Mm -hmm. they kind of know that. So I've been trying to kind of shout it out anytime I have the opportunity. Yeah. I know uh, people are shocked when they ask me, so how long does it take for you to put out a, an episode? And I said, well, between the me setting up the guests, me um, you know, listening to the record that my guests pick multiple times, doing some research on you know, the lyrics, um, doing the sound clips, editing out all of the ums and the dog barking and all that stuff on, on the episode. Um, I tell them it's, it's about 10 hours per episode and they're like, what really? Yeah. I mean, that actually seems like you're very efficient to me. 10 hours (laughs) is like, that's, that's pretty efficient. Well, that's great. I, I'm going to take that as a compliment. No, 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 absolutely. You you should. (laughs) sounds like you're, uh, sounds like you're very, very, very good at keeping everything. Um, keeping everything quick. We try and do that. Wayne, how, how much time are you putting into it? Uh, I'm just listening to uh, the record. So <laughs> uh, 10 hours, at least 10 hours. Okay. All right. All right. All right. So one last question before we dive into the record that you chose, we've been asking all of our guests this. So um, will your opinion, Toto's Africa, good or bad song? I mean, it's a great song. I feel like some of the lyrics are a little bit confusing, but I think as a song, it's like, you know, it's catchy. It's well-produced, makes me want to move, feels good. I like it. That's the right answer. Appreciate that. Yeah. It's not the right answer for Wayne, but that's the right answer (laughs) for me. It's not the same answer as Wayne. I wouldn't say right or wrong. I'd say it wouldn't be the same answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So... Will, tell us what record you chose to revisit. Yeah, so I chose Purple by Stone Temple Pilots, which um, for those of you who may not be familiar, it's their second record. And a lot of folks thought that it was self-titled because um, the word purple is just a Japanese character kind of buried in the album art. Um, But yeah, it's actually called Purple. And it's, I want to say it's, it's my favorite record of theirs, actually. Very cool. So let let's get some bio info and then we'll we'll jump track by track and we'll we'll talk a little STP. So Stone Temple Pilots, that's of course comprised of Scott Wayland on vocals, Dean DeLeo on guitar, Robert DeLeo on bass, and Eric Kretz who is on drums. Um, he took a little break from the band for a couple of years, but uh, he is back on the drums for the new incarnation 
of uh, STP, which of course does not include Scott Wayland, who uh, sadly, unfortunately, yes. unfortunately yeah. passed away a few years ago. Have you listened to the new incarnation, the the Jeff Gut lead vocals version of STP? No, I haven't actually. I probably should. How is it? It's not bad. It's not bad, actually. Um, you know, you still have the driving force, and and we'll talk about this as we go through track by track. But you know, Dean and Robert are really they're they're the musicians of of the band. Yeah. You know, most of the music it was you know was was made by by the Delios. Um, Scott has credits on two of the songs for music. He did most of the lyrics, however. Yep. Um, but anyways, we'll, we'll, we'll chat up, chat about this as we go through. You did mention this is the second studio album, uh, it was released in June of 1994. So, um, 25 years and they are, they are putting out a 25th anniversary reissue, um, that, that includes a, I guess it, it includes remastered version of the studio album has demos, rarities, um, has uh, early song versions, etc. Um, well, damn, I did not know that, and I did not know that I was going to give their 25th anniversary uh, release free publicity. You did. Um, so, so Dean and Ro- DeLeo brothers, if you're listening, uh, feel free to return the favor, give <laughs> Ships of Sailed a shout out in your next Rolling Stone interview. Um, yeah, or maybe invite us to open for you on the road. Yeah, oh, there you that'd, go. That'd be that'd be cool. Yeah, that'd be awesome. No, but um, I mean, it it is a great record. So I'm 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 mostly joking. I'm I'm stoked about the um the remastered version, and I will definitely download it. Yeah, and uh, and this was a successful record. So this was a number one record on the Billboard 200. Uh, was there for three weeks um, back in 1994. Sold over six million records. So, and we'll talk about the the successful singles that uh, also were, you know, were all over the radio back in 94 and 95. And still um, to this day, like a lot of these tracks still, um, still play on the radio. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, producer it was Brendan O'Brien, who I can't, uh, we could spend an entire episode talking about his credits of being a producer, mixer, engineer, you know, Will, to your point earlier of talking about, you know, mixing with the masters. Yep. Brendan's one of the masters. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk about STP's place in modern rock and 90s alternative, because I think I think a lot of people probably have the opinion that is found famously in that Saturday night clip of David Spade kind of pissing on them, mm-hmm. you know, where he, he was like stone temple pilots. I liked them better the first time when they were called Pearl jam. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm ad libbing at, cause I, I couldn't find the actual clip, but was, was Scott Whalen trying to be Eddie Vedder? I mean, I kind of view Scott trying more to be more like Kurt Cobain than Eddie Vedder. So I kind of feel like, um, so I do think that they, um, they have some similarities in their singing style, but I think actually it was more because of their, like they shared a vocal coach, I, I believe if I'm not mistaken. Right. 
And that vocal coach very much, it, it was like a rock centric vocal coach. And I'm not sure of their name, uh, to be honest, but, um, okay. but they were very much focused on that kind of like throaty kind of like, um, throaty kind of like almost squeezed vibe that both Eddie and Scott, like you can hear that in their voices. So I think it was actually a commonality of who they were like training with as opposed to like them trying to be each other. Um, And interestingly enough, going back to STP's first album core, right? I was really into grunge at the time and that was, it was kind of like metal grunge to me. They were like on the metal side of grunge. The production was very clean and polished and it it sounded like a really smooth metal record smooth melodic metal record mm-hmm. um and that partially is why i really really love purple because i feel like purple is where they actually found their sound as stp um there's some great stuff on core don't get me wrong but i think stone temple pilots really emerged because of purple yeah yeah, I would agree with that. All right. What what's your opinion, Wayne? I really loved Core. I uh but I definitely agree that this this sounds much it, um I don't know if mature is the word, but it definitely sounds like more evolved yeah. from Core. Core has a, a rawness to it that was hard I mean and it was all over the radio. You, you I mean every alternative stations, that was one of the thing about Stone Temple Pilots is they they made both those, they played both those radio stations, um, whether it was alternative or hard rock, they were on both of them. Yeah. Um, and I, I think Scott Weiland has a unique way of changing his voice a little bit from song to song. He can sound not so different that you don't know it's Scott Weiland, but just he gives these little, he makes it, these little changes that give the song a different, a whole different feel. But they're definitely at their best when they sound like, like what stone temple pilots, because I did find them on a couple times on this, on this one where they, you could almost hear a little bit of Pearl jam or a little bit of Alice in chains. Um, even on one of them, a little bit of a, a Nirvana kind of sound, but that was mostly from the drums, I think. Um, but when they really, cause Dean DeLeo has a, has a unique, he has, he's the sound to me of stone temple pilots that his guitar. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, let's jump into the record. So as a reminder, our scoring is based on the number of songs on the record. Wayne, how many songs on the record? Uh, technically 11. They throw a, a jokey uh, hidden track in at the end. Yeah, we'll we'll chat about the jokey song, but we're, that's not part of our scoring here. So, Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. So as a reminder, top song is going to get 11 points. Nick's favorite, 10 on down to lowest score of one. Let's kick it off. Here's Meat Plow. Kisses me 
this a good choice for an album opener? I mean, your previous record used Dead and Bloated as an opener, which I think is just a really great album opener. So is this a good choice for an album opener? I'm not against it, but it's definitely not dead and bloated. No. I mean, I actually think this was a really smart choice, um, given what the rest of the album sounds like, because it kind of bridges what it bridges the vibe of what core was and kind of eases you into what the new stuff is going to be. Okay. You know, it, it, it kicks it off with like, heavy guitar riff and drums and stuff like i think i think it was a pretty smart choice Uh, i always thought that vaseline the next song was a a better choice just for sequencing but no i could i could totally see that that it that it was almost making a statement of first record done moving on here we go here's purple yeah yeah i I think it's a lot uh like to what Will said, I think it's almost like you liked core, uh, take a listen, you're going to like this. But and then I think on Vaseline, it really gets it, it. Then it shows that evolution. Yeah, exactly. I think that if they had if they had started with Vaseline, they would have lost a lot of people right off the bat. I agree. Yeah, I can see that. All right. Um, what about the lyrics for this? What do you guys um, have for that? I got it sounds like uh Frustration with the media. I mean, there were some lines in there about the about them showing, you know, the pictures. They got these pictures of everything. Break us down, yay to break me down. Yep, I I could see that. That that's a little little bit of disillusionment with uh, with the media. And I'm sure they heard the critiques that it's like, well, you guys are trying too hard to be like Pearl Jam or trying too hard to be Alice in Chains or whoever from that grunge area and it's like i don't think they they were i don't think they were trying to be any of those uh they didn't help themselves with the intro to this song though because when you listen to that because that was one of the things i wrote down is this song starts very alice in chains via black sabbath but it all kind of quickly fades away into what sounds like stone temple pilots but initially that first those first few riffs and it has this really sludgy, you know, Black Sabbathy kind of coming through Soundgarden and Alice in Chains style. But then, but it quickly, with by forty seconds, it's gone, and it's a and they, they do that a couple of times where they kind of start out one way, and then it quickly evaporates, and they starts to sound like Stone Temple Pilots. But that's what they were into. They were into the Black Sabbath and the Led Zeppelin. Well, they all were. All those bands were. That Black Sabbath is one of the key influences to all those bands that we've probably mentioned at this point already. Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, even Nirvana, Pearl Jam. Yeah, and I feel like I feel like one of one of the um, one of the common. Uh, commonalities between all of the grunge era bands and a lot of them actually hate that term by the way they oh yes what is what what the hell does grunge mean but um all of those early 90s like grunge era bands like their sound all came out of the fact that they weren't trying to sound like anything so that critique for stone temple pilots must must have been really really difficult to hear because their whole thing was like we're just going to make the music that we want to make and not care if it gets on the radio. That's 
that's how grunge happened. Like nobody cared if it got like one of one of the biggest things that was like um, a torment to Kurt Cobain was the fact that they got so popular. And, you know, he was famously a guy who would like stay until the bar kicked them out just so that he could talk to every single person at his show. Well, you get to a certain level and you can't talk to every person at your show anymore. And um, like, so none of these guys were like chasing a sound or chasing fame or like whatever. It just happened that their, their, their stuff was so authentic and the industry was just ready for something like that, that it, it all just blew up. So that, that type of a critique, I could see, um, Scott Weiland and and all of the all, like the whole band being super super devastated about that. So I agree, um, Meatplow very very much kind of like a frustration with um, media and and you know the people who are saying what you should be listening to or who are you know critiquing what you are listening to. Yeah. Okay. Let's get some scores. So uh, Wayne, your score. Um, I, I dropped it, I gave it a five, but it dropped a little bit because meat, uh, in the, in a, whether it be the name of a song or the name of a band is just kind of gross meat puppets, meat plow, it all, (laughs) it all has a very, you know, I'm a meat eater, but it's a very disgusting, it just feels gross. So I gave it a five. They lost a little for that. All right. And will, (laughs) um, so as much as I think this is a great song and a great album opener, it is definitely not at the top. 50% 50% of tracks on the album for me. I gave it a four. Um, the only reason being, I mean, there's 11 tracks on here. Man, you guys give me a hard job. You give yourselves a hard <laughs> job too. But like, it's ridiculous having to rank these from top to bottom. Um, it's an amazing song. But just for me personally, I think that there are um, some much, much, much stronger ones for me personally on this record. So I it had to be in the bottom half. It wouldn't be an episode without our <laughs> guests saying that. Usually they say it about halfway through the album when they're having to apologize for a score, but you, you, you started off right there. Will with, with apologizing for your score. So that's cool. Yeah. I mean, you may as well get it out of the, uh, may as well get it over with. Exactly. <laughs> so, so then on that note, I'm going to have to super apologize for my score. So, I gave it a two. Um, it just it it was one of the least memorable songs on the record for me. Um, again, I'm I'm a big proponent of come out strong, you know, set the tone for the record, and I just kind of feel like the next song really for me sets the tone for the for the next record. But I I totally see your guys's point of this being a nice transition song from from you know first record from core to purple and i i totally get that um you know i think most records and most careers have these little transitions and this is you know it's a transition song not that i hate it it's just one of the least memorable songs on the record for me so i can respect that so that leads us to next song which is vaseline
And this, of course, was their second single off the record. It did reach number one on the mainstream rock charts. And what do you guys think of Vaseline? Well, I think we both need to tread lightly because we already know how you feel. Right. Um, absolutely. <laughs> uh, no, I think it's a great song. It was the, you know, to your point, Ben, Vaseline was the one that really grabbed me and pulled me into the rest of the record. Um, Meat Plow, I was like, ah, you know, okay, I get it. It's a, it's a good one. And then Vaseline just like sucked me right in. Yeah. Um, I also think that this one has a lot of undercurrents about, um, uh, about their realizations that they were coming to due to like their rise and success in the entertainment industry. I mean, just like listen to the opening opening lines. One one time a thing occurred to me, what's real and what's for sale. I mean, yeah, yeah it's all like right off the bat. It's a powerful message. Um, well-written song, obviously well-composed and well-produced. I love it. Yeah, I, I think this is, like you said, like we had talked about earlier, uh, this sounds like a more mature um, a band that's, you know, they didn't just remake core and this is where it starts to show um, on this one. Yeah. Agreed. And looking at the lyrics, cause I always thought that again, I didn't dive too much in the lyrics when I was in college. So I always thought that this was kind of one of those masturbatory reference songs because we're talking about, you know, Vaseline and I'll just leave that there and not elaborate <laughs> any further. I'm, I'm totally, I'm totally rethinking that thought now that I'm, you know, I'm actually looking at the lyrics and analyzing the lyrics. It's a, uh, it's a little bit of a heroin thing. Like I did, I did some research, and he even said in his autobiography that um, this was about. The quote was, "It's about being stuck in the same situation over and over again. It's about me becoming a junkie. It's about lying to his first wife." And then lying to the band about my heroin addiction, and this is not this is not the only song that I think that has a little bit of the the heroin thing in it, right? Oh no, there's there's tons of that on this record. Yeah, I I, I initially assumed that all Scott Weiland songs are about heroin. He has to <laughs> prove that it's not. And I, I um, this one, I don't know if you're confusing with Interstate Love Song because I had read that this was about. Being fa- becoming famous and being famous. And especially I think that first line that Will quoted is the one I wrote down too. Um, but the, there was, I found some, some unique, I guess, uh, which made me just feel like he's even more of a clever and um, intuitive songwriter. Cause Vaseline is not spelled like regular Vaseline. It's actually right. spelled like gasoline, yeah. which gasoline and Vaseline is like basically napalm. So I don't know if, I'm not uh-huh. sure he was either trying to avoid a uh, trademark issue or if he was making another Probably. statement. But also, if you think about, I mean, I, I guess I kind of looked at the, the that title in and of itself and Vaseline. It's kind of opaque to clear, but yet flies, if you just rub it on your arm, a fly will stick right to it. Like he mentions in the song, it's so it it's almost like there's nothing really that you can see there, but yet he gets trapped in it very easily. So I, I, I felt like that was a, I, I don't know if he did that, if that's what he was thinking, but when I started looking at the references through the title, I was like, yeah, that's, that's actually kind of deep. Yeah. I kept going back to the line of keep getting stuck here all the time. It isn't you. It isn't me. Yeah. 
Yeah. So that was the one that kind of kept going back to I kept going back to I'm like, is he talking about the fame thing or is he talking about the addiction thing? I mean, can't or is he talking about? Yeah, couldn't 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 it be both? I think I think for him and, you know, I, I didn't get the opportunity to ever speak to the guy face to face. But, you know, I've I've been a huge fan of his music for a really long time. Um, and I think for him, like the two were really kind of the same, like the, the rise to their level of success and the drugs that kind of like numbed him up enough to be able to cope with it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and you know, I, I feel like, and you, and you don't have to be famous to need something to help you cope. Uh, I think we've, we've, we're seeing a huge problem in our country proving exactly that. But, um, you know, I think to him, the two were very much kind of like merged hand in hand. And I don't think he was very comfortable with the whole fame thing. Um, I did have an opportunity to see him live, um, as part of the, his little Scott Whalen project right before he passed away. And, um, the venue that I saw him at was this venue where you could essentially um, stand on the other side of a, a cyclone fence next to their tour bus. And so me and my buddy who went to the show, um, both of us are out there. He's got his, his, he probably brought core uh, the CD booklet and I had a photo and he, you know, Scott comes outside and I was like, Hey, would would you mind signing for us? He was like, I'll sign one thinking, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, he's going to sign one for each one, <laughs> each of us. He signs the photo and then walks away. <laughs> like he literally, man, I'm going to sign one. Um, and then like a couple days later, he got in trouble because he was doing this, the VIP thing. And so you could meet Scott, you know, after the show and get your picture taken with them. And, you know, th- th- these people would pony up at least a hundred bucks just to get their picture taken with Scott. And um, he said very loudly, all right, this was right before the VIP thing happened. He goes, all right, time to suck a dick. <laughs> and people were coming into the VIP and were, you know, they were like completely flabbergasted that, you know, they ponied up the money to meet their hero, and he was just so flippant about it. And um, and then he passed away a couple of weeks later. I mean, so I, I, if if I had done that, I would have probably chuckled to myself hearing him say that because that that's what I would expect from from him or like right, y- you know, like Eddie Vedder, for example, like Pearl Jam famously went battled it out with Ticketmaster to make sure that people weren't paying too much to go and see them, like to make sure that their tickets were all $55 or less um, because they thought it was so ridiculous that people were getting charged. So if they were selling VIP experiences, which by the way, they probably never would. um, But if they were selling VIP experiences, I could imagine Eddie Vedder saying exactly the same thing. Um, By the way, I, I did meet him once I used to do stage production um, when, as a, as a college job and, you know, a lot of artists, they'll come in and their tour buses and like whatever, and they'll have like entourages with them, man, Eddie Vedder drove in, in like a nondescript 
van and just walked out by himself. I like I was out. I, I don't think I, I don't think I was actually smoking. I think my buddies were smoking. We were taking a smoke break. He just walked up. I saw, I saw who he was. I was like, Hey man, how's it going? He's like, great, man. How are you? Like, thanks for, thanks for being here. Thanks for helping out. Like those guys, like all, all of them from this era, like it, it blows my mind because people are so hungry for like the fame and the success in the music industry right now, but they never really wanted it like that. And, um, and so I think that's more how to interpret what Scott said in that moment. And I, you know, I, I understand, I understand that. I, I get it. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be so flabbergasted. <laughs> right. Right. All right. We totally went down a tangent. Oh yeah, here. totally. Sorry <laughs> about that. <laughs> no, 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 no. That happens all the time. <laughs> We're famous for doing that. So, all right, let's get some scores. So Wayne, I gave it a nine. Like I say, uh, this is one of the songs that I could tell that they had, that they were getting better all the time. And it's, and the lyrics, I, I, his lyrics are often very oblique, but this is much more about the way he says it than, than what he's saying. And then will, uh, I'm going to apologize again. I gave it a seven again, like there, you know, it's, it is a great song. I just, in ranking an album when there's only one slot <laughs> for every song, <laughs> you know, there's there's more at the top for me. Right. And uh, I'm giving this a nine as well. All right. Moving on. Here is Lounge Fly. Somebody please help me with this because I don't know what in the world this song is about. Is it? Is this another heroin song? This, this, okay. This is a heroin right. song yeah. for yeah, sure. This, like I say, always work your way back from there with Scott. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I hate to say it, but yes, okay. definitely. That I guess that then makes sense uh, when I'm reading all the lyrics. But uh, okay. Yeah, pins in me, pins in me. Yeah. In me, you kill me. I just thought he was talking about acupuncture at that point, but you know. No, I'm kidding. Um all right, who who wants to who wants to talk about uh lounge fly here? This one was all about the drums. Eric uh Kretz is very cymbal heavy in his drumming usually, and on this one it's this really I mean, just fierce, like almost tribal drumming through the whole thing that that I, I just, this one grew on me. I, when I initially heard it, I had it much kind of much lower than the more I heard it. And the more I, I really dug those drums and the more I really liked this song. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree. It is very, very much about the drums and it is very different than his normal drumming style. But I also think that this is like, um, this is a guitar song and the production really is notable in this, like that snare sound you don't hear that snare sound anywhere else on this record. Like 
this this song is really really unique and when i first listened to this record back in the 90s this song is where i was like oh oh shit like this is serious um so vaseline pulled me in i was like all right this is a record and then loungefly hits and i was just like oh okay like what's coming next you know what i mean um yeah i i love this song definitely definitely a heroin song though yeah i'm wondering if this is going back to your point about the drums on this wayne i did watch a video of them kind of making a little bit of this this was one of those mtv mini doc documentary things that they used to do back in the day and a few of the songs they recorded eric's drums like he put his drum kit outside because they were recording in like this you know building um like this i don't i don't know if if you would call it a mansion but it was a big house in in atlanta and um i'm wondering hmm. if this is one of those songs that uh they're like you're too loud for this song so we're gonna stick you outside mic you up out there that's that's interesting uh i've never heard that that's a that's an amazing little anecdote yeah. um you know what i will say about the production on this record is that it is super super different than the production on core like core sounds consistent all the way through i think um dean used the same exact amp and guitar combo for every single thing and then on this one he used a different amp and guitar combo for every single thing and i want to say he used like over 30 like smaller amps across this whole record um to get all of the different tones as opposed to like like you can tell he's using a big stack on core you know so yeah the production on this record is is super notable and so i'm i'm glad to be learning a little bit more about it there you go all right. Any last thoughts on this song before we jump into scores? Oh, the slide guitar. Uh, Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. That is so cool the way they use that. Yep. Absolutely. Let's get some scores then. Will? Eight. Wayne? And I'm going to apologize a little bit for my six. I think it, it could have been, it could have taken over my seven if I if I'd have thought about it more. Okay. And I'm also giving it a six, but I'm not going to apologize for that. <laughs> Unapologetic. Unapologetic six. All right. That moves us on to Interstate Love Song.
So Interstate Love Song, this was one of their big hits, uh, reached number one on the mainstream rock charts. Any idea which uh, which song replaced uh, Interstate Love Song at number one? No, I have no idea. Same. Vaseline. Really? Wow. Yeah, there wow. you go. Uh, song stayed at number one for 15 weeks. Wow. STP had the number one song on the mainstream rock chart for a record 17 consecutive weeks between this and Vaseline. That's it's pretty amazing. That's doing something right. Yep. Yep. Um, all right. Who wants to get us started on Interstate Love Song? Because um, I'm just going to throw this out there. Collectively, this uh, is one of our favorite songs. I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean... I, I would agree. This this song is timeless. It's amazing. Um, also a heroin song. I think this one is the one that he wrote actually about his relationship with his wife and how he was lying to her all the time. Um, yeah, that's what I read. And, but the lyrics are nostalgic in kind of in kind of a way where you want to like the liar. I don't know. It's it's an it's a great song. Yeah, the leaving on a southern train that is about them going and recording going down to Georgia, going down to Georgia to record this record. Yep. So, yep. I was going to guess tour, but uh, you know, kind of potato potato, it's basically like leaving to go do your career. Right. Yeah. And and the 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 irony I I guess maybe that's the word to use. The irony is is that they tried to record this away from the LA scene yeah. to hopefully get Scott away from the whole heroin thing. And well, Wayne, we, we talked about smashing pumpkin Siamese dream and that whole, that was recorded in Atlanta as well to try and get Jimmy off of the, the smack. And that didn't work either. <laughs> no, apparently you can find heroin anywhere. Uh, and I, I would imagine if you want it, you'll find it. This is one of those songs that's also much as uh, it it has that raw power of the band that recorded Core, but it's evolved. It's much more complex. Um, I think I think to me as as cool as it sounds um, lyrically from Scott's point of view, it, it's, the, it's this one's all Dean DeLeo to me steals the show on this. His guitar is just I can say he has this real circular kind of feel to his to his riffs and then he just uses just like just the right amount of distortion he doesn't overdo it but yet he's he's got a unique sound you could to me he's the sound Mm -hmm. of stp yeah i I, I would agree and um you know i i would i would hazard to say that like as much as if i had to pick one element of this record like the entire record it would be dean DeLeo. he's honestly you know and I've never, I've never really heard him shred. I'm sure he can, but he's always like so laid back and tasteful with what he plays. And you can tell that he really like, he'll wait until the part is right. And then be like that, that's it. Um, and one of my favorite guitar players, like there's certainly, you know, more technical guitar players out there, but uh, you know, for me, he's like, he's one of the greats. Yeah. He knows how to riff. Yep. He knows how to pick a good riff. I think that's that's very apparent on this record. All right, let's get some scores. This is my top song, so I'll throw that out there. Wayne? 
Uh, 10. Yeah, I also I also gave it a 10. Cool. All right. Um, we could probably stop there because that's going to be our number one song. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm, just I'm just I'm just kidding. All right, next song still remains. So because I have the benefit of seeing everybody's scores in advance, so Will, get us started on Still Remains. Yeah, I, I love this song. The The lyrics are beautiful. The guitar is, per- like, the arrangement is perfect. Um, it, like, makes me warm and achy at the same time right off the bat. And I don't know. I love it. So help me with some lyrics then, since you love this song. So pick a song and sing a yellow nectarine. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> I mean, obviously it's a it's a play on words, right? Like, um, I'm not sure what that line particularly means. I think, I think that line is more of whimsy to kind of yeah. take away from to kind of like, um, I don't want to say take away, but dilute the the seriousness of that chorus this is basically about somebody who's saying that like they will die for somebody else this is i mean i clearly recognize this as a love song which is somewhat unique he doesn't really write a lot of just because this is an all-out love song yep i mean plain and simple he's not even trying to hide it i thought the lyrics got a little like clunky like in some of the the orange was it the orange blossom breezes line? It didn't feel like it, but this one started out just like I had said about meat plow. It kind of starts out. He's even, his voice sounds a little weird uh, or, and, and the drums and the guitar sound like they're actually almost like they're being played by somebody besides Eric Kretz and Dean DeLeo, but just like meat plow, it, it just, it can't help itself. It starts to, it, it turns into an STP song. And so for me, it never really recovered from that. But but once once it started to sound more like like them, I, I you know I, it was a song I liked. That's an that's an interesting observation. I I never um I never really got like a discrepancy. Like the the riffing is like a little bit unique, but that I think is what's the beauty of this track. You know, okay. I I still think it I still think it does sound like Dean. Only that only in that it's so unique. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. To to the point of this being a love song. So if the lyric of take a bath, I'll drink the water that you leave is a is a a little bit of a love song lyric. Oh, yeah. It's dark. It's it's like a really dark kind of like 
I'm so obsessed with you, it's unhealthy type of love song. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Yep. It, it's, you know, like I said, it makes me feel warm and like, uh, what did I say? Oh, it was, it was, it's like warm and like chill, chilling at the same time. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I get that. All right. So, uh, Will, what's your score on this? This is my top song on the record, hands down. Cool. All right. And I'm giving this a seven. And then Wayne? Well, you're not going to like to hear this, but <laughs> I gave it a four. Uh, I was, a, I, but I, I. Are you backpedaling that's, now? That's, that's, no, I'm not backpedaling. Okay. I, it was okay. one that I, I it, just like all of these, to his point earlier, they all, there's, I mean, when I say that they start out different and then kind of, you know, evolve into an ST, a more traditional STP sound, that's that in and of itself is, I mean, showing range. I mean, they're 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 moving around the place and not just doing what made them famous. But ultimately, I had to give a four, and I didn't feel the same connection that 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 Will did. Well, so that's kind of the beauty about music is that yeah. it's completely subjective. Like a song can resonate with me and it may, I mean, you could have given it a one, you know? Um, And, you know, these songs obviously were written about something, right? But it could mean something completely different to the listener, to one listener than to another listener and completely different than what it was actually written about. And I find that aspect of music just fascinating and beautiful. So don't, I mean, don't apologize for your interpretation of, of art, you know? Oh no, not at all. I just when I hear somebody have a, a strong personal connection, I do. I can't help but feel a little bit bad if I tanked it. That's <laughs> uh, all. It's all good. <laughs> I I get it. Yep. All right, moving on. This is Pretty Penny. Anybody seen the clip from the VMAs where Scott dedicated the song to Robert Pirano? I tried to Google different variations of who Robert Pirano, and I couldn't come up with anything that actually made sense. Anyone have a clue? No. And I'm looking on Genius right now, and it says, uh, it does mention Robert Pirano and his family. Something may have happened to this family like a death, and that's why it's dedicated, but nobody knows for sure, and the band hasn't officially said so 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 bizarre okay yeah but i mean it kind of adds some context to the lyrics um i do think that this is a beautiful song um you know it to me to me this was a little bit of a diversion from stp sound yeah um but i but i do think it's beautiful and i think it belongs on the record um it serves kind of a purpose of bridging the front half of the record to the back half yeah, 
I I struggled with this one because I I do like this song, and ultimately my score that I gave it is in the context of the entire record. I just feel like this song is a is so different from the rest of the the record, and again the sequencing is always something that I'm looking at. Um, that it really seemed, I won't say out of place, but it just seemed strange to me. Wayne, what do you got? Because uh, I I have a feeling you're you're kind of agreeing with me on that point. Um, yeah, to a degree. I mean, my thing about it was the individual elements of it. I think Scott's lyrics and his vocals, um, and. Uh, Dean, that there's there's a unique kind of odd sound to the acoustic guitar and the, even the tambourine, which I don't like it all the time in this, but even but during the the main uh, verses of the song, I thought the tam- all the elements in and of themselves, if they were pulled out, I like, but together it it was it was like too much. It was overloaded, and it it's like there wasn't enough space for all of this stuff that was going on. And so it, it just it just felt crowded. And then I didn't like the gimmick. I don't know if it was recorded live or if that was a gimmick, but I, I thought that the and the, there's a I had read something about they recorded this in their practice space, which had like a like a Native American drum in the middle. And they were there were I don't know if they recorded that track separate, but they're all hitting it. And you can kind of hear that in the background. But then there's a part when the acoustic guitar is playing and they use the tambourine to kind of hit the beat. But the tambourine is not a precision instrument and it sounds ridiculous. I mean, if they were going to, they should have possibly used a cowbell or maybe a wooden block if they're going to go to the elementary school uh, percussion instruments. But the tambourine in and of itself during the song, I like. There were some portions of it where they used it, which I didn't think it was appropriate. But altogether, the elements in and of themselves I liked. But when you cram it all together, it seemed, it just, it just seemed like too this much. This is not the first song where you have railed against the tambourine. (laughs) And I feel like I'm going to get a bad reputation with the tambourine industry, but it's not, I thought it was used appropriately at points, but then when he, when they're almost like trying to hit a single note with the tambourine, you can't, it, it rattles. And so it sounds, it, 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 it just bothered me in concept. Getting a tambourine endorsement anytime soon. (laughs) Me me and me and Tracy Partridge. That's right. Exactly. All right. Um, Will any any comments to go with our <laughs> poo pooing on this? And and I and I like this song. I do like this song, and I, and I, and I agree. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean I think, yeah. You know, it is deliberately kind of weird for the record. Um, and I I think that you know the observation around around the production and kind of the elements being cluttered. Um, you know, I never really got that, but I can see where you're coming from. Um, this definitely wasn't one of my, you know, top songs on the record, but I do like it. Um, and I do think that it has, um, a poignant message in the lyric, um, like right off the bat, it makes, it makes me sad. And I wonder, I wonder how much of the cluttered production is kind of purposeful, if you will, um, Cause I, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever kind of dealt with, um, something as tragic as losing a loved one, but what I will say is that in those moments, 
your mind tends to become super cluttered. And so I could see that being kind of like a decision that was made that like, okay, we want this to be jangly like the thoughts that would jangle around in your mind in this situation. I I don't know. That's That's always kind of... When I hear production that isn't like, you know, perfect, I always try to think about why it might not be and whether or not that's deliberate. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. Oh, Absolutely. All right. Let's get some scores on this. Wayne? Uh, this was my least favorite. And then, Got a and one. then Will? I gave it a five. And I gave it a four. It was as high as my seven at one point. But I just, yeah. Really? And then I just kept dropping it. <laughs> so... Anyways, all right, moving on. Silver Guns, Superman. And this was one that I, with repeat listens this week, maybe it's just where I'm at. Um, it kept inching up on my uh, on my scores here. Um, maybe it's the place that I'm in. Um, maybe it's the fact that the replacements box set for Don't Tell a Soul came out this uh uh, this weekend, and uh, I've been listening to that a lot, and so maybe I'm in just this really dark place. Um, so maybe that's why I'm liking this song this week. Ask me next week, and I might have a different score for this, but um, safe to say that this is a heroin song? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So um, silver gun is slang for a hypodermic needle and being a silver gun Superman means that uh, Wayland was particularly handy with a needle. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm laughing. It's, it's kind of sad. Like you can tell from this record that he's getting like deeper and deeper into it, you know, Um, which is incredibly tragic. And it's even more so that it was like, so much good art was being created as a result of his addiction. Yeah. Um, which, you know, that's, I don't know what else to say about that. It's, it's, it's really, really sad. And, um, I, I think su- super common across the music industry and uh, throughout history for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And let me tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm justifying my high score. Usually I justify my low scores, but I'm going to justify my, my higher score on, on this is again, going back to, I'm listening to the replacements a lot. I'm feeling a little bit of this punk thing going on and a, we're just going to do whatever the hell we want to kind of vibe. And towards the end of this song where they speed it up for this week, it worked for me. Usually in other weeks, I would probably go, why are they doing that? Why are, why are you messing with the song like this? But for, for me this week, I love that they're speeding it up. And um, to quote from, from Dean, 
he said it sounded like we were falling downstairs. That's what yeah, that's was, what they were going for. I was going to say it's like kind of the the train wreck at the end. Yeah. Um you know my musical sensibilities that is cringeworthy to me, but I know why they did it. Yeah. Um and I can I can respect it. I will say that this did this song didn't get a high score for me. Um it's never been one of my favorite favorite songs on the record. I think it's well written. It just you know it doesn't it just doesn't do it for me. Okay. Cool. Let's get some scores then. So I'm giving this an eight. And then Wayne? I gave it a seven. Um, I like the, the the almost spoken word in and into the singing and alternating that. I don't always like that. In fact, there's another song that kind of has a, not some, a, a kind of a same kind of idea that I didn't like, but on this one it works. So I gave it a seven. Cool. And then Will? I gave it a three. So not my least favorite, but it's, <laughs> right it's down there. there. Yeah. I mean, look, the whole record is really, really good. I've said this a million times. I'll yeah. say it again. The The entire record is good. There isn't a bad song on this record. But when you have to pick and choose um, and like something's got to be at the bottom. Yep. Yep. In fact, several, several have to be at the bottom. <laughs> All right. Moving on to Big Empty. Driving faster. And this is going to be one where I'm going to have to apologize for my score, I think. Oh, um, boy. Yeah. Wow. So this is the album's first single. Uh, made its debut on the Unplugged performance that they did in 93. It would appear on the soundtrack to The Crow. Uh, also reached number one at some point as well. And this was, I think, before the record came out, if I remember correctly. Yeah. It's actually a while before. Yeah. Anyone heard the acoustic version that's on the deluxe edition? Actually, no. I, I brought that up, so I, I, you guys weren't familiar with that. So so you guys have homework. Go listen to that. The bass playing in it by Robert DeLeo is stellar. Like, Yeah, he so is good. an incredible bass player. In fact, the, De, the DeLeo brothers are just like disgustingly talented. <laughs> and, and also, like, they don't really... Like they don't really flash it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you only notice it if you like double click into a part and listen. This is definitely one where the bass is just crazy. And and I was I did a little research on Robert. So he is a former employee of Schechter Guitar Research. He built the prototype 
of what is their signature model. The, the Stecker Model T was actually his primary uh, instrument that he used um, with all sorts of different pickups and whatnot. So he designed that. So, wow. Yeah. So he's, he's pretty bad. A. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bad. A. Yep. Well, you know, I'm trying, I'm trying to be, <laughs> I've already said a couple words that I don't usually say uh, on these podcasts, Wayne. So wow. you're rubbing off on me in the wrong way. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All right. Um, what else we want to say on big empty? One of their hits. Uh, this is, like I say, I love the uh, the cool bluesy opening, which is uh, unique. It just had a just real cool bluesy acoustic-y type opening to it. And then uh, the lyrics, really, Scott Weiland doesn't write a lot of lyrics for his songs. Typically, repeat a lot, which isn't it doesn't affect it, or, you know, or make them less uh, stand out any less. But this one, the second, I the first verse has always confused me. I don't know if. I mean, I, I kind of rolled it around between, is this guy a serial killer? Is he just taking home a drunk girl at the end of the night? But the real cool part was the second verse, which I do, I'm uh, positive it's about heroin, because it has one of the coolest lines when he says, time to catch a ride, her name is what it means. And if you think about that, heroin without an E, or heroin with an E, which would be a female hero, Wow! Did I just blow your mind? <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a really that's a really good um, analysis, actually. Nicely done. The verses it, it is really uncharacteristic. You know, the first verse, driving faster in my car and then falling faster in my car, it doesn't quite bookend, but it really like it kind of does. Um, and the second verse clearly uh, bookends with too much walking, th- shoes worn thin. Like I think, I think the lyrical writing in this is amazing. Um, I think that the guitar work also amazing the slide the slide guitar um that that stuff is super hard to to play and it's like perfect but like minimal um yeah I think this is this is a yeah, great song I agree uh even though my score doesn't show it uh, <laughs> all right let's get well some... something's got to be at the bottom, I know right? yeah. I know so let's get some scores Wayne Eight. And then Will? Nine. And I'm giving this a capital five. There you go. All right. Five exclamation point. Exclamation. Three exclamations next to the five. All right. Uh, This is Unglued. And I'm just going to start this out with um, my score is totally indicative of what I've been listening to this week. So Mm. I'm all about the loud and snarly 
this week. Um, if we scored this next week, when I'm listening to probably the next Americana singer that uh, we're going to have on the podcast in a couple weeks, uh, I would probably score this differently. But for this week, um, it's kind of high. So I'm just throwing that out there before you guys ridicule me of my score. <laughs> um, so uh, Waylon, this, uh, he gets a music credit for this one. So not only is he uh, writing the lyrics on this, but he also has a music credit for this one. To your point from last song, Wayne, yeah, there's not a whole lot of lyrics to it. It's just, it's a straight up, I feel like if there was any punk songs on this record this is the this is the song because it's two and a half minutes long yeah yeah no and that would explain probably because i this is my favorite song in this and they played it a ton around here on both the alternative and the rock hard rock stations um but there's just so much swagger from both scott and dean DeLeo on this and it's so high energy and it's and it, and they are able to eat the, the and i I don't pick the bass out in this as much as I do the drums and the guitar and the vocals, obviously, but they sound like they're coming unglued, like his lyrics and his, his voice and the guitar. And it all sounds like it's coming apart, but at a high rate of speed. I just, I just loved that was, that was one of my notes here as well. Title fits the mood. Yeah. So, uh, and I'm going to preface this with an apology. This, (laughs) (laughs) this one you know Wayne you said something earlier about like it not feeling like a Dean DeLeo guitar part and that's really interesting and it's interesting that this is one of Scott like one of the few that Scott has music credit on Mm -hmm. uh, because this doesn't feel like a Dean DeLeo guitar part to me like sure he's playing it he's rocking it he all he always does but it doesn't it doesn't feel like him to me and I like I'm not feeling the bass either like this to me doesn't really if i were to pick one on the record that doesn't feel like stone temple pilots or doesn't feel quite like stone temple pilots it would be this one yeah. actually yeah. it it i i get a lot of scott in this one but um and obviously it's also a heroin song so <laughs> um <laughs> yeah you know um i i do think i mean it's a great it's a great track it's high energy i would probably really dig it live not one of my favorites on the record. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So let's get some scores. So Wayne. Uh, this is my favorite. I gave it an 11. All right. And then Will. Yikes. I'm sorry. I gave it a two. Ah, all, goes around, comes around. It's, all, it's not It's not my least favorite, though. <laughs> it's all good. And I gave it a 10. Again, if you ask me next week, this was as low as my six at one point. So, um, yeah, that's just where I'm at. Um, next song, second to last song. Here's Army Ants.
and I'm looking at everybody's scores here and collectively this is not one of our favorite songs. Uh, definitely a song directed at the detractors and the critics. I guess I should have probably researched this. Uh, this feels like a song that may have belonged more on like the first record, I feel like. And I'm wondering if maybe this was like a leftover demo or something. My last comment on this, on Army Ants, is back to the criticism of they sound too much like Pearl Jam. If there was any song where I felt like they were trying to sound like Pearl Jam, I think this would have been the song. Wow. Yeah, I, Scott, I got a total... Scott is uh, rolling around in his grave hearing you say probably, that, man. Probably, probably. Because, because this this is a song about those exact critics that were yeah. saying that exact thing. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> I almost feel bad about it. No, I mean, you have to you have to voice your opinion. That's what we're here for, right? Absolutely. This one almost had a Perry Farrell kind of Jane's Addiction alternating mm. between, like, in that part where he's kind of almost like shouting... It, it really had a very Jane's addiction vibe to me. I didn't even hear Pearl Jam in this, but I, it's so schizoid with the, uh, that I, that it just, I couldn't, I never felt comfortable with it, but I did, like I say, and like his, I'm reading, you know, his lyrics, there's not a ton, but it's always, it's, I usually looking through it, he uses a lot of cool words that create images. It's always, I always got to find that one line that kind of ties it all together. And this was the, the army ants walking in a line and but completing the plan type thing then it then it all made sense you know now that you're bringing that up i totally hear three days from jane's addiction on this yeah yeah yeah. totally (laughs) oh wow yeah i would that's a really really great observation and you know like i don't really consider jane's addiction like grunge like that that was like jane's addiction was like grunge morphing into what is now alternative you know what i mean yes um yeah so that yeah wow yeah, you know, okay. this uh, I'm looking at I take back what I said about Pearl Jam. <laughs> I'm, all right, he he rolled back over. Um uh, it, it's a really well-written song. I want to like it, but I just I don't. Yeah. You know? Um it does it sounds like something left over from something else, which it probably wasn't, honestly, but it's it sounds like something that just they were like, "Oh, we have 10 songs." there should really be 11 and like, yeah. where are we going to put it? You know what I mean? It's, yep. it feels like that to me. Yep. I'd agree. Um, so this is my least favorite. Will same least favorite. And then Wayne, I gave it a three. Okay. But I wasn't a huge fan. Yeah. All right. Let's wrap this up with kitchenware and candy bars. This to me, after an entire record of kind of like 
flaunting his addiction. This is like the remorseful, the remorseful one. Um, so I think, I think it's a beautiful song. I think it's a diversion, uh, a div- divergence from what they've done. But at the same time, kind of like when the chorus blows up, you f- you feel them in there. And I think it's a really, really cool way to close out the record. Um, I, I really like this song. I have, I've loved it since I first gave the record a complete listen. Um, you know, but then again, I really like digging into my emotions and I'm fascinated by other people's and other people's experiences and pain. And, uh, you know, like I, I gravitate towards this kind of stuff. So, uh, that's just, that's just my vibe. Cool. Uh, Wayne, what you got on this one? Um, I was this one. I I, I wasn't a big fan of because almost because it felt like Dean DeLeo was missing. I know there's a there's this there's this part of it where it uh, where it almost sounds like a tool demo where there's this. Uh, I think it's the bass, and then the and then the he doesn't obviously doesn't his vocally doesn't sound like Maynard, but it has this that real. It's mostly bass, and then. I just felt almost like Dean DeLeo was missing and it almost felt this was the one that to me felt like, like a Scott Weiland solo. Really? That's song. interesting. Are you, the bass, the part that you were saying um, with vocal and bass, that's kind of the noodly little breakdown. Yeah. If you listen closely, there's like this army of like slide guitars, like distorted slide guitars, really kind of low in the background, helping it all build. Um, it is it is centered around I mean it's a bass solo basically, right? Um with like yeah. jazzy laid back drums. Actually, I think that part is super, super cool. Um in this kind of in the same vibe as the falling down the stairs thing, but in a less cringeworthy way, if that makes sense. And mm-hmm. then it just kind of all sucks back into that final chorus, you know? I I don't know, but the guitars are in they in there. They they are buried though. You're absolutely right. But lyrically, I I definitely got the the betrayal. And I mean, I I guess I never really, I I I didn't even use my own rule and think about him, you know how heroin would be betraying him. Uh, I was always I was looking at it more conventionally with because there's reference to mother and woman and uh, you know almost like society in general, but. It, I definitely got a you you let me down kind of feel in the lyrics. All right. Should we get some scores? Wrap this up? Totally. Will? I gave this a six. And then Wayne? A two. And this is my three. And should we also comment about the little secret song that is uh, 30 <laughs> seconds into uh, after the end of this? <laughs> and I want to give him some props for I guess because what I heard they were doing is making fun of everybody who puts hidden tracks at the end of things and being a big Guns N' Roses fan I think I got to tip my hat to that because they've done that a couple of times and I and I and I it shouldn't have been done so but uh, I guess the only thing it, it was a complete joke and it went over it was too long for the joke to hold up and then I don't think anybody from the band is is involved they in. are not yeah they're not so <laughs> The second album Twelve precious melodies Worth listening Hope you enjoy them Like if it's sung to me
Uh, I did a little research, even watched a, a video on YouTube. Uh, I'll share that to the Facebook page. But it's a guy named Richard Peterson. He lives up in the Seattle area. Um, Waylon said it's written by this really weird guy named Richard Peterson. He makes these records with his own money. He gets a friend to sing his songs. By the way, Richard Peterson is a really talented piano player, but um, probably is on the autism spectrum just based off the video that I saw and my experience with my oldest child being on the spectrum. And he says uh, he, he um, writes about his obsession with Johnny Mathis, which Johnny Mathis is referenced in that, <laughs> in that song. Yep. He said, we heard it and we freaked. It was the weirdest thing we had heard in our lives. And it just kind of seemed like it fit to close out our album. So the video that I saw, so Dean DeLeo uh, revealed that um, his track for every million copies that they sold, he would give Peterson ten thousand dollars. Nice. And Peterson is seen cashing the check at the bank in the video. <laughs> so, 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 based off of them selling six million records of this, um, Peterson made sixty thousand bucks off of this. So that's that's not a bad uh, not a bad payday. Not a bad take for a for a hidden track. No. So anyways, there's more information that you ever wanted to know about a hidden track. There you go. So you mentioned how long an episode of this podcast takes. How long did just that research take? Uh, (laughs) Yeah, probably an hour. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You allocated a really decent amount of your time budget towards doing that research. Thank you. That's a, it's a fascinating little story. Yeah. It's cool. And like I said, I will share the video that I found. Actually, I found a couple videos of Peterson. He was actually on the, uh, Wayne, he was on the Seattle channel. Um, if you remember Nancy Guppy, uh, from, uh, almost live. She introduces him. Slime, yeah, yeah, she introduces him on that uh, on that video. So, all right, let's figure out our top five. Um, I already threw out what our number one song was. Interstate love song. Yeah, interstate that love was, song. Collectively, that was uh, our favorite. Um, any guesses for number two? I feel like Vaseline has to be up there. Yeah, Vaseline. Yeah, that two. makes sense to me. And then three. You know, I honestly, I don't know. Well, um, it wasn't one of your songs, Will. Uh, it was okay. unglued. <laughs> that oh, that just actually just make, it makes sense because you guys high. both uh, scored that one really high. Yeah, we, we totally, you know, tipped the scales in our favor on this. That's all good. That's how this got, works. Yeah. And then we've got a two-way tie for fourth and fifth, um, which is Still Remains and Big Empty. Hmm. So... Even with my five score on Big Empty, that wasn't enough to tank it outside of the top five. So there you go. Cool. That's a solid five, right? It's a solid top five. I mean, yeah. like I said, there aren't any bad songs on this record. Even even my least favorite, even Army Ants, like that's a solid track. You know? Yeah. 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 
All right. Well, Will, this was a lot of fun. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was oh, yeah, this was honestly this was amazing. I, I love getting to revisit, you know, records of my youth. Very, very cool. And you've got an you've got absolutely. a new song, new video to go along with song. New video out? to go along with song. And um yeah, it's coming out on October eleventh and it's gonna be a little bit different. Well, you know, all of the tracks that we've released have been this year have been kind of different from each other. Uh, and this one is going to be a little bit different again. Um, it feels like it feels like the right time to release this one. And I'm really looking forward to feeling people react and having it out there in the world. Cool. All right. So, so tell everyone where they can find out about ships of sailed. Yeah. The best place to start is ships of and if you want to connect with us directly, uh, we have a mailing list. Uh, you'll get stories about who we are. You'll get four free songs just for signing up. So you'll get a little intro to our catalog. And um, if you are on social media, you can find us everywhere at Ships Have Sailed. And uh, I'm on your website right now, and I will be checking out with the Sailor Moon t-shirt here in, in a few moments. Highly recommend. there. So the design is... Love it. Our, yeah. our newest it's like super fresh and the shirts themselves like i made a really big effort to go and actually see and touch the shirts before we chose somebody to print them because i think the biggest thing with band shirts is that they are almost never like good t-shirts we want comfy these are really really like quality and awesome. we paid a little bit more to get them made but i think it's worth it okay cool all right. And thank you for your support, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. All yeah. right. So last question. I lift this question from a fellow podcaster here in Orlando. Uh, who do you know that I don't know who would want to join us on this podcast to revisit one of their favorite records? Wow. I always seem to put people on the spot with this question, don't I? You know what? <laughs> um, actually, I have, a great, I have a great recommendation for you. I'm not sure if he's going to have time in the next month or so because he's getting married but um so i've been working with this uh really awesome uh producer musician and he also has an artist project himself his name is dan Saden, and um we're working on some some new music for ships have sailed but it's it's been a really nice uh like it's a new collaboration. So we're, we, we started just kind of like feeling it out in like a co-production capacity, but we're moving into the next phases of working together. And, and I have a feeling that we're going to be working together a lot more. And his artist project is really, really cool. He has a lot of really interesting musical influences. So, um, I think he would be an amazing guest on this podcast. And I, you know, I would be really interested to know the record that he picks to to <laughs> chat about <laughs> all right we'll yeah we'll, we'll we'll get in contact um and it how's and it, how's it, that for pulling something out of my ass ab- absolutely fantastic <laughs> nice and and Clutch. you don't need to worry about him coming on in the next month because uh i'm booked up for guests through end of december right now uh, oh so, cool so we're 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 good <laughs> okay perfect <laughs> cool all right. 
So as a reminder, you can find all of our happenings on our Facebook page for the Records Revisited Podcast. We're on Instagram using the hashtag Records Revisited Podcast. We're now on Twitter at Podcast Records. Find us on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Stitcher, iHeartMedia. You can find all of our old episodes from any of those platforms, or you can go to recordsrevisitedpodcast.com. And please go subscribe and rate or review us. And if you give us a rating, please give us some feedback. Let us know how we're doing. Don't just give us a four out of five. Let us know how we're doing. Tell us what you want to hear. Go to the Facebook page. Go to Twitter. We want your feedback. So thank you all very much for for coming aboard with us. This has been a fun year for us uh, when we release this. This will be about at the year mark. So Congratulations, Wayne. Oh, thank you. Congratulations, Ben. Absolutely. Wow. Congratulations, guys. And thanks for uh, making me a part of it. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So thanks for listening. Please go support the arts. Go to a live show. Buy a t-shirt of the band like I'm going to do right after this episode. Buy a record. Visit a record store. And not just on Record Store Day. We are Records Revisited. And we are... Out. Out. out.